0: In the name of Jesus Christ, who was, and is, and is to come. Amen. Sometime when I was younger, I remember being shown a chemistry demonstration. It started with what looked like a plain, clear glass of water. And then the teacher dropped a tiny grain of salt into the water. And almost instantly the water was filled with spiky crystals growing in every direction until the glass was completely full. It turns out that what looked like plain water was actually a super saturated solution of a salt called sodium acetate. That's a salt you can make out of plain baking soda and vinegar and a supersaturated solution is one where more of the salt is dissolved in the water than can usually stay dissolved. Now, the way you make it is you heat up the water to a very high temperature, where you're able to dissolve a larger amount of this salt than usual. And then gradually as the water cools back down to room temperature, the salt salt stays dissolved as long as it's undisturbed. But that solution is very unstable. Those crystals Are just waiting for the tiniest disturbance to fall out of the solution and become solid again. All it takes is a little grain dropped in and suddenly what was hidden is revealed. Sometimes world events feel kind of like that. Sometimes what seems like a single isolated event suddenly makes a lot happen or better to say, Sometimes that one event is enough to bring to the surface, the tension, the instability that was there all along. Back in 1914, many Europeans thought that their society was too civilized and scientific to experience war ever again. Then in the city of Sarajevo, a 19-year-old Bosnian radical shot dead an archduke named Franz Ferdinand And that one event triggered a cascade of alliances that spiraled into the First World War and left 15 million people dead. Sometime around six months ago, somewhere in China, a randomly mutated virus leapt from an animal to a human. And that one small event has led to a worldwide pandemic that has exposed not only the inadequacies of many of our public health systems, but also the inequities many of our economic and social ones. About three and a half weeks ago, a Minneapolis police officer suffocated a black man named George Floyd. And that one event has triggered a cascade of protests and demands for change that have the potential perhaps to transform this country's self-understanding and maybe change some of the ways that some Americans can take for granted opportunities that others are never given. Sometimes all it takes is one grain dropped into the water to set loose an entire reaction, to reveal what was already there. I think one of the things that has been happening over the last few weeks is that many Americans and especially white ones, but not exclusively, have been discovering that what we might have been able to believe was a placid glass of water was actually a highly unstable solution that what we might have been able to think or allow ourselves to think was a simple and happy and harmonious narrative of our society and our place in it, is actually a tenuous construction on a shaky foundation, with no small amount of violence hidden just below the surface. (laughs) Discovering that historical realities, like the murder and exploitation of Native Americans, the enslavement of people from Africa and their descendants, the conquest of more than half the territory of Mexico, and the prejudice against immigrants from Asia and the global South on the part of European colonists and their successors. But those foundational events in the history of this country are not just stories from a long time ago, that their effects are living and active today. To admit that is in no way to deny the noble principles of equality that are embedded in this country's founding documents, or the aspirations of so many who have helped promote democratic government and human rights here around the world, here and around the world. But it is to say that those principles of equality and justice have often been honored in the breach as much as in the observance, or flat out applied to some people and not to others. I came of age in the 1990s at a time when the narrative that I soaked up all around me seemed to be one of never-ending progress. After all, the Cold War was over and the good guys had won, and commentators were writing about, quote, the end of history. The future seemed to be a simple positive upward trend with the inevitable worldwide spread of truth, justice, and of course, the American way. McDonald's and Starbucks and the Gap were expanding everywhere. And the newly born internet would bring truth and transparency everywhere. Authoritarian governments would find it impossible to control the flow of information anymore. A thousand flowers of truth would bloom and citizens in these places would demand blue jeans and Disney movies. Of course, that optimistic 1990s narrative that I soaked up around me as a teenager didn't last. The contested election of 2000 was a prelude to the trauma of September 11, 2001. We went to war in Iraq. We saw human rights abuses in Abu Ghraib and Guantanamo. We have seen increasing political gridlock and polarization, conspiracy theories, fake news. We've discovered that that internet that held and still holds such promise is also able to spread not just truth, but also falsehoods and propaganda. And over the last five years or so, we have seen more and more overt bigotry in public discourse and more and more overt subversion of democratic norms in our governance. So there is a narrative of disenchantment there. And that narrative is mine and some of that narrative comes out of the ordinary process of learning and disillusionment that comes with growing up. But I think some of it is more widely shared. Some of it has been a collective societal narrative being exploded by reality. The reality is that for many people in this country that societal narrative never existed. There is no golden age to go back to, There is only the work of living out the gospel of Jesus in our own place and time. Jesus Christ is the Prince of Peace. And we say that he brings us the peace that passes all understanding. And that is true. And yet he also told his friends that he had come into the world not to bring peace, but a sword. And that's also true. Because the mere presence of Jesus in the world, the mere presence of this man of peace, the way that he lived and loved, was enough to reveal the forces of violence and sin that underlie our whole human story. It was enough to reveal what was there, the love of power, the drive to exclude or dominate, the drive to gain temporary prosperity for some at the cost of others. The drive to sever the bonds of love that God intends to link us with one another and all creation. Those forces of division sent Jesus to the cross. Like a grain of salt falling into a solution, Jesus came into the world. And he didn't create those forces of violence and sin, but he exposed what was already there. Those divisions have to be exposed in order to be healed. And those of us who follow Jesus today, we are not exempt from history. We are not given a pass from playing our part in it. We aren't assured a steady narrative of gradual progress or a life that is comfortable or easy. We aren't exempt from danger or uncertainty. After all, as Jesus says today, the disciple is not above the teacher. And our teacher faced plenty of trouble. But as he also says to us today, don't be afraid. Not, don't be afraid because you will never get hurt. But don't be afraid of those who can kill the body, but not the soul. He says not that you will have an easy life in this world, but he says, God knows the hairs of your head. He says, not hold on to your life and keep safe at all costs, but those who lose their life for my sake will find it. Don't be afraid, Jesus says. God's love is with us, and that is all the security that we will ever need.